This is Jesus from the Fanable Podcast Network. And if you are driving on a long drive, make sure to pull over if you see the following hitchhikers. Arn Raviv. Jamie Denholm. Daniel Andrelick. Alexander Klaus. Connor Arnold. Tom Bransfield. Bridget Hughes. Preeminent Void. Leona Coffing. Fat Bald Hobbit. And Nielsen Harrow. Thank you for your support, and safe driving. Two friends wake up in a basement forgotten by time and decorated with horror. A story will play out for them, first in sprinkles, and then in a deluge of terror, hopelessness, and despair. However, they'll need to keep going if they hope to ever return to the Long Drive. Welcome back to Episode 3 of The Long Drive, Against the Windshield. Brought to you by the Fandible Podcast Network. You both wake up around the same time. And you're not really sure if the drop just landed you in a very painful position so you kind of blacked out, or if you're just so exhausted that the adrenaline that was keeping you alive and awake finally has worn off. But around the time Lee starts to stir, his foot accidentally catches Charlie in the rib, and she like lets out a groan. Ugh. And you both realize you're lying in pitch darkness. You were crawling through the ventilation shaft with your flashlights. You do remember that. One of you had a flashlight. Maybe both. But now, wherever it is, it's either blocked so it's not shining any light, or it broke on the fall. But right now, you are in a void of darkness. Lee, that that was you, right? What do you mean? Ow. I'm fine, by the way. What? I got kicked in the ribs. That was you, right? Um, probably. Where's the light? I don't know. If you would like to start feeling around for it, go ahead and make a perception roll. And you can also add investigation to this. But this is going to be a difficulty eight because of the darkness. I got one success. Two successes. You both are feeling around and you finally take hold of a single flashlight. David, since you rolled two, I believe, you are the one that kind of gets control of it and you turn it on. It's one of those industrial-sized flashlights. It's high-powered. The beam easily strikes through this darkness and inches away from your face, David, is another face. A porcelain face that almost bursts with light as the light hits it square in the eyes. I scream loudly and thrash backwards. Charlie Lee falls right into you, and you both stumble away until you finally come to resting against a wall, it feels like. And Lee, you ease your flashlight back on to the mannequin. And it is a mannequin, just lying on its side on the floor. And as you raise the flashlight and look around, uh, you look to be in a basement. You see the kind of stereotypical cement walls, wooden rafters above you, pipes, 
you know, nothing that shows that this was a finished basement or something that is new and modernized. But everything else seems to be around you to be in disarray. There seems to be colorful cardboard that's on its side. There's curtains that look like they were draped over the window. They are all like torn apart, slashed, cut up. And there's mannequins. Everywhere your light goes, you just see mannequins in various points of destruction just scattered around. Charlie, you look above you and you see what looks to be one of those 1930s Frankenstein switches where you turn it on. So the big sort of lever switch? You do see a lever switch above you. Should I should I flip that? Or is that a bad idea? To flip that? Um, yeah, sure. Chuck, just um, like, like, like stand on your shoes because you have rubber soles and that might have like electricity. Oh, that... Did that help? That didn't help. No, nope. That did not, did not help. Okay, uh, I stand and I flip the switch. Lights begin to activate all around you. Blinding lights, fluorescent lights. You hear that buzz of electricity as it flows through the lights above. And then there's like a ka-chunk of like an old generator starting somewhere in the background. And all the lights immediately turn off. And David, so does the flashlight in your hand. It just kind of flickers. And by the time you slap it once to get it back again, it and all the lights of the basement come back on. And the entire basement is organized. The mannequins, they're no longer in pieces. They're all together in various forms of 1950s suburbia outfits. There's the mailman holding up mail. There is a woman in a child mannequin walking across the street. And all around you are cardboard designed, poorly done. Looks like it's made by kids or people who were using crowns of local Main Street. And there's a house and there's a hospital and there's a schoolyard in the distance. And then of course, right in the middle is a bus stop. It looks like a play setting that has been designed for an elementary school. And above you, you hear the whine of speakers. And you don't even see where the speakers are. But it's definitely that old-fashioned, like, elementary school speaker that's kind of whining to life. And then you start hearing a ditty. And by the end of it, you hear the sound of a little boy over the speakers. Once upon a time, our world was the city. Smiling people. Hands that waved and didn't strike. Playtime. Food time. Sleep time. But then, the bad time started with Bus Driver Jim. And in the distance, you hear another lever being pulled, and it kind of vibrates the ground underneath you. And then six cardboard cutouts of children shoot up from the ground. Again, poorly designed, yarn for hair, paper plate faces. And they start moving through this crowded streets of mannequins. And you see now that they are taped to a toy train. 
and it brings the children, the cardboard cutout of children, to where it says bus stop. And that's where they remain. Do the tracks end at the bus stop, or did the train just stop at the bus stop? The tracks do stop at the bus stop. Okay. Do you think that refers to the bus outside? I mean, as soon as my abject fear and nausea that comes from this entire circumstance subsides, probably. Probably. You guys look around the room, and again, it looks pleasant in a way that's terrifying. This isn't something that you would expect to find in the basement of a rest stop. Across the room, the lights haven't shined on completely. There seems to be a wall that you're not really seeing, that the light almost seems to refuse to go towards. But between you and that wall, there are a number of cardboard buildings and very smiley-faced mannequins. Billy, how big are the cardboard buildings? Some of them are small. Some of them probably go up to your waist, and those are labeled like library. But some of the bigger ones are like computer store, and that's like a cardboard from the floor up towards the rafters. And some of them don't even seem like they fit properly, like they've been shoved, and it's kind of crumbling at the very top. It's probably 12 feet from the ceiling to the floor. Interesting. Okay. It seems like someone built this cardboard setup using whatever they could find. Some of these boxes are one actually could kind of squint through the paint and see it says refrigerator. And the other one, they look like almost what you would carry files in, filing boxes, and they've been painted. Okay, Chuck. Um, so I think that maybe that bus does have something to do with the bus outside, but I'm only extrapolating that from the fact that it's the only bus we've seen since, you know... Everything happened. And you said the magic word. Oh, no. Says the kid over the speakers, and suddenly, out through a very small vent, probably the size like a rat could fit through, a bus flies through as if it was coming down from like a Hot Wheels set, goes between your legs and goes past the children. Doesn't stop at the bus stop, but as soon as it passes the bus stop children, they all fall down the cardboard. And the bus travels, travels through the legs of a passing postman, through the legs of a mom pushing a carriage with probably a mannequin baby inside, and into the darkness. And as soon as it enters the darkness, a light turns on, and there is a door right there, painted red. This is the worst trip to the land of make-believe that I've ever seen. Oh, you didn't hear? David Lynch took over once the king died. Yeah. Well, I see a red door, and I want it painted black. So did the bus crash into the red door? I mean, it didn't explode. It kind of just bounced off. But yeah, it's laying on its side now. Its wheels are still spinning, though. I want to investigate these buildings and probably working my way towards the door specifically what i'm looking for i don't know if it exists you'll tell me is if any of these buildings are labeled rest stop interesting so let's do an investigation plus perception for whoever wants to do this david you see that charlie is starting to look through these buildings or just kind of she's going up to mannequins and like just looking them close up so you can do the same if you'd like chuck what are you doing I'm, I'm looking through this stuff. 
Billy, what's my difficulty? Difficulty seven. Then I have three successes. None of these say anything like rest stop. The closest you get to it is maybe like a gas station, but that's like a smaller box. And when you lift up the box, there's nothing inside it. It's just emptied with dust and some like, you know, leftover remains of dead roaches. I'm supervising from a distance as I come up behind. Great. As you are moving away from this box, Charlie, you notice that Officer Friendly, the mannequin in the officer's outfit, has a gun belt. And it looks rather authentic. It's the only thing that doesn't really look like it's from the 1950s, because it's very kind of modernized. It looks like a Beretta, something an officer would have. So he has a gun belt and there is a gun on it. Yes. Charlie points that out. Should we take that? Um, I mean... We should take it so nobody else has it. Yeah, I mean, it's a... Nine millimeter, it doesn't really have the stopping power for the dogs outside, but that's not the point. So Charlie is going to take the whole gun belt. You grab the gun belt, and as you're looking for a way to detach it, unfortunately, it looks like it's been super glued to this mannequin, the gun belt itself. So you can't get the gun belt out, but you can pull the gun out of the holster. This seems safe. Charlie is holding it out like by the end of the... (laughs) Like pinching it? Yeah. You pinch the button, you pull it out, and you hear the snapping of a string as something was tied to the barrel of the gun, and when you removed it, it activated something. Over the speakers, you hear a song begin to play. I'm looking over my dead dog rover, which my father ran over with the power motor. One leg is missing, the other is gone. The third leg is scattered all over the lawn. No, 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 no means explaining. The run remaining is out by the cardboard floor. I'm looking over my dead dog, Rover. Oh, wait. Daddy, he's still alive. I'm looking over my dead dog, Rover. And it just starts up again. Um. And that's all that's happening, just... Yeah, it's just, it seems to just be playing that song. I is that, don't, I don't know. Is that normal? Because I went to public school. I think we just go to the door. Don't, don't touch anything else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You guys are moving towards the door. And you guys are careful. You are avoiding stepping into any of these, like, small model cars that are scattered around, any of these mannequins that are in your way. But then you start hearing something. Above you, the sound of heavy boots. And it actually shakes the foundation of where you're at. Like a small tremor. We're not talking about like 8.5. This is like really a 2.6 at best. But no one expects footsteps to cause a tremor. So I'm going to need you both to make an athletics check. Difficulty 8 as you are currently surrounded by several of these mannequins, just to make sure you don't step into anything. It is going to be athletics plus dexterity. Two successes. One success. You both stumble, but none of you actually step on anything. You don't run into anything. But you both watch as one of the mannequins, the furthest away from you, near where you kind of woke up, tips over. Simply tips over because the world is shaking. And it slams face first, 
onto the ground. And as soon as its head cracks, you hear buzzing. And then suddenly, a swarm of flies escapes out of this head of this mannequin. Since you both succeeded, this isn't near you, but this cloud of vermin flies up into the sky and spins around, and then it seems to locate both of you, and it shoots off towards the two of you. You guys can either use strength plus athletics to just barrel towards that door, or you could use dexterity plus dodge in order to like kind of weave in and out, whatever you want. But this cloud of flies is moving towards you as fast as it can. And so I need you guys to at least to get three successes in order to make it to that door. I have a really bad idea. Good. I love bad ideas. So you said a bunch of the boxes are big, right? Yes. All right. I grab one of the large boxes, like one of the refrigerator boxes, put it over Charlie and make a break for the door, splitting my action. You grab one of the boxes and it's actually big enough for the both of you if you both want to fit into this thing and... Perfect. There is a moment of realization. First, there's a look of dogged bravery on Lee's face. And then he picks up a massive Magtech box for a... It's like one of those double door installments for a refrigerator. It's really nice. And then he realizes that it's big enough for both of them. And then, like fucking Monty Python sketch, he actually scoots underneath and puts it down next to both of them. All right, so you drop the box on top of both of you. You hear the sound of flies slam into the side of the box, and they kind of swarm you for a while, trying to chew through the glue of the box, the tape, and they're really going to town. But for now, it is definitely holding them off, but you are blind. May I request? We both did investigation rolls. We crept over there slowly and quietly, making sure not to knock anything over. I have eidetic memory. You absolutely do have an eidetic memory, and you know what? Because Lee has that eidetic memory, Lee grabs onto Charlie's hand and guides her as you both start pushing your way towards that door. And again, you hear the bugs getting louder, and you are crashing into things because you are now a giant box. And each time a mannequin falls over, you hear more bugs escape it. Ah, fuck. <laughs> and the buzzes pick up, absolutely. I have something that needs to complicate this. I just looked at my merits and flaws sheet. I have a phobia of complete darkness. This seems like a really good time to remember that. <laughs> we were doing so well. So I have to make a courage roll every time when I'm faced with my fear. No, Charlie, it's a good point. But luckily for you, you have that flashlight still in your hand and it's still on. It came on just about the same time the lights in this entire basement came on. So you're terrified for a second, but then you hear the click of a flashlight in Lee's hand, and you guys are good. Lee actually was like a Boy Scout. He was prepared. <laughs> you guys make it to the door, and you kind of deconstruct the box in front of you as you rip it open down like the seam in order to get to the door, push back the box against the flooding of the bugs that are trying to get at you to get this door open and to stumble into this room but you're able to close the door behind you as only a few bugs come and nibble at your faces, but you're able to swat them away. But you definitely hear the sound of bugs trying to get at you through the door. You both are breathing heavily. That was pretty intense. It takes a second or two before you start looking behind you towards the, where you're at. 
right now you're in another room and it's it's a thinner room almost kind of a hallway but a little bit bigger and this hallway is painted yellow the ground is painted brown the ceiling is painted black and it seems to be mimicking a school bus there is an aisle that leads towards the front of the room and on each side of the room is a van seat here an old park bench here, a crate, a box, anything that can mimic the look of what school children would sit on. You see a few windows painted on the wall as well. Some clouds, some smiling flowers. But right now it seems like you guys are in the back of the bus. And in the front of the bus, you see the back of a mannequin's head. And that mannequin looks to be wearing a bus driver's hat. I'm really tired of buses. <laughs> Yeah, 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 I bet. I, um... You do notice a door in the front of the bus that seems to be where a door would be for like a normal bus. It's kind of like the, on the side. I start edging towards it. There's really only one direction to go. And quickly using the flashlight to check the seats that we're walking by. And I'll get attacked by whatever. The second you take a step towards one of the seats, the entire room, you can only describe it as swerves and you and Charlie are able to grab onto the back of well Charlie you take the right seating which is an old seat from a van and Dave you take the left which is an old park bench and you grab on keeping yourselves from hurting yourselves and you hear from the front of the bus someone saying sit down you little insects and then the bus Stop swerving, and it's still. David, you do notice that in a couple of the seats, not the ones that you're in currently, you do see signs of what looks to be book bags. Gonna slowly scoot over to one of those chairs and sit down with a book bag. David, the closest backpack is two rows ahead of you. What you need to do now is you need to make a stealth check. In order to move from the back of the bus towards the front of the bus or towards another seat ahead of you. Okay. Difficulty six, dexterity plus stealth. And I'm sorry, but that was just David. If you want to do it too, Charlie, absolutely. You can go ahead. Difficulty six, dexterity plus stealth. Three successes. Three successes. You guys slowly make your way forward on the bus. And occasionally you'll hear the grumbling from that mannequin ahead of you as if he wants to scream at you. But every time you hear that grumbling start, you both kind of stop. And then you move forward after a half a minute until finally you are three rows ahead and David takes a seat and you take a seat. Angela, in your area, you're now sitting on top of what looks to be two broken lawn chairs. The bottom has holes in it. You're able to sit down, but I wouldn't chance it too long. And David, you are sitting on top of two crates. And next to you, David, is a book bag. And on the book bag is Thomas the Train. And inside it is just filled with papers and a folder and looks like math homework. If you want to guess, second, third grade. I check for a library card. You find a library card for someone called Bobby Limp. And it's just a buck-toothed little kid with thick glasses, grinning like only a kid who doesn't know how to grin can. And on the card, it says 1979. Quietly pass the library card to Charlie. So what do we 
do with this? I mean, we knew this was weird. Yeah, it's, um, it just seems weirder. I said quiet, you bugs! And the room swerves again. This time, I need you guys to make an athletics check. Difficulty eight. Dexterity plus athletics to keep your balance. One success. One success. Barely holding on. You both grip onto the side of the walls or just the the seat that you're sitting on or the crates that you're sitting on, and you keep yourselves from slamming into each other, but just barely. And then the room settles down again. And it's just silence. Though you do notice the mannequin has kind of tilted its head as if to look over its shoulders. I dig into the kid's bag and pull out a notebook or some sort of scrap paper. Yep, you find plenty of scrap paper. I'm going to dig in my pocket to get out a pen. Mm-hmm. And we are going to communicate through note passing. I write, I don't know what to do and I'm very scared. I write back, me too. Still got to do something. Pass it back. Billy, does this Charlie have her camera? You both have your camera. I'm imagining that both Lee and I have kind of you know, hunkered down below the seat that is in front of us. So there's less of us for this guy to see. And I'm going to pop up just enough to get over the seat and click the camera and then duck back down again. Are you using your flash? No, that would be a bad idea. <laughs> you take the shot, snap it. And right now, it's just a mannequin. And there's nothing different about what you're seeing in this picture than what you're seeing in front of you. It's just a mannequin. Well, it's obviously not. (laughs) But you do see, from your angle, there is that door where the mannequin is standing next to or sitting next to. This one is painted blue. Yeah, it's like the front door of the bus that would have the giant lever and folds in and out. Exactly. And the door is there. I want to look down under the seats. Is there a clear shot from the seats to the front of the bus? If you go to the seats that Lee's sitting in, there are two rows that have chairs that, you know, you can crawl under. Unfortunately, the the chairs in front of you right now currently are actually beanbags. And he's on the right side of the bus, right? So he would be on the side that has the door. Yeah. Charlie is going to signal to to Lee, like, hey, give me the note back. Okay, well, Lee's halfway through doing one of those who will you marry in 10 years foldy things, but then hands her the note. And Charlie flattens it back out, rolls her eyes when she sees Angelina Jolie's name listed. She's going to write down, belly crawl towards the door under the seats. Hands it back. Lee reads it. Opens his mouth to argue. And, and Charlie, like, holds a finger over her mouth as she sees his mouth open. And then nods, because we've established this character doesn't know a lot about pop culture, so David can't make any of the jokes he wants to make. And Belly crawls towards the front of the bus. Okay. You make it two more rows. There's literally only three rows between you and the door now. Angela, you're still in the back. Are you slinking over to David's side and trying to follow, or what? Yep. I'm going to try to very quietly and quickly hop to the other side without attracting attention. It's a quick slide over. You don't make too much noise. You fall to the ground. 
gently and then belly crawling across until you and David are smushed against what looks to be two lazy boy recliners. You both stand up and you're now sitting on, it looks like a stone bench that's been kind of broken down the middle, but it's held together by some glue or cement. And on this seat, you actually find another backpack. It's pink and it has a unicorn on it. I'll open up this one. You open it up and you find a lunchbox with a equally happy unicorn on it. I'm not opening that. Not opening that. I am. Oh, oh God. I'm grabbing it. We established my character's curious. You open up the lunchbox and inside is a peanut butter jelly sandwich. It smells fresh. There's not a hint of decay on it. It's nicely wrapped in that like foil cut in half. I throw it in my jacket pocket. You set aside the lunchbox. You take the sandwich that was inside it. And now you just have three more rows and you see that door. And again, that mannequin's just waiting, just sitting there, doing nothing. But its head is slightly turned as if looking over its shoulder, but not fully. I'm going to take the note paper back right to Lee. Do you think that mannequin could stand up and walk down the aisle? Lee writes, hold on to something. All right. Charlie grabs hold of the, the lazy boy. And Lee is going to take the lunchbox and throw it into the row right behind the mannequin. The lunchbox crashes down onto the ground and you hear, you're all roaches, sit down. And the head immediately turns completely 180. The room swerves. But since you're all holding on nice and tight to the lazy boy, you're able to hold on, and after about 30 seconds, the room settles down again. But the head is completely turned, watching everything behind it. Okay. Last idea that I have. Charlie is going to point at the gun, and then do, you know, like, hold up her fingers like a gun, and point to the mannequin's head. Fuck it. So, Lee, you stand up. You take aim. And you blow this mannequin's head to kingdom come. And Lee's, like, not gung-ho. He's not dirty hairy about it. He, like, bunches up his shoulders so they kind of cover his ears. Because it's going to be, like, really loud. And it's loud. And then you hear the sound of screeching tires. And the room starts bouncing as if someone let go of a wheel. And you're off the road. And then... The room tilts and flips, and you guys are now are like you're in a dryer ah. with chairs that aren't bolted to the ground or benches. Oops. You guys are rolling over and over and over again, which means I need you guys to roll athletics rolls. And right now you're going to be getting five points of bruising damage, but each athletic check will reduce it by one. But right now, the standard would be a dexterity plus athletics just to try to avoid everything that's rolling. All right. Now I'm going to use a willpower. Likewise. Okay. So feel free to do that. You guys are completely just screaming as this bus, this room is rolling madly down a hill, it feels like. So one success. So that's two in total. Three successes. Three successes. So you take two damage, Angela. And David, you said two successes as well? You take three damage. Yep. The room rolls, and you guys are smacked and penned by those lazy boys that you were hiding behind. You see a couple of lunchboxes get completely obliterated by a giant bench that was in the back. 
the crates that at one point you were sitting on slam into each other and shatter into a bunch of shards. The room just feels like a giant tornado for 10, 20 seconds before it finally comes to a halt. And when you finally look up, the room is just trashed. And you are laying on the black floor, and above you is the brown ceiling. And you look towards where the blue door is, and you notice that there's a little bit of a breach to get to it. Are are you alive? Lee is just clutching his ribs, the gun still, like, white-knuckled in his hand. <coughs> I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm not okay. Can we get out of here? Where are we? There's no longer a scary mannequin bus driver, so I think we can just go. Okay. Step in the right direction. Let's go. You guys move towards the blue door. Ladies first. You guys have to kind of climb up some of the detritus that is in your way in order to reach the door handle because it seems to be the, the, the ceiling and the floor is inverted a little bit. So it makes opening the door slightly challenging, but nothing you need to roll for. You open the door and you both stumble in, climb in. And as you do, the door shuts behind you. And the lights are off. And then they're not. Uh, why does it keep doing that? This entire room is covered in overdue bills. It says overdue, overdue. And it's almost like, like a comedic stamp has been pressed on each one of these. And in the very center of the room is a table, a chair, and a mannequin wearing a bus driver's hat, and he's clutching his head. And there's a mannequin standing over him, dressed in a 1950s stay-at-home wife's attire, and that mannequin is pointing a finger. And through a speaker, again, that you don't see, you hear, We don't have the money, Cheryl. You're worthless, Jim. You little insect. You can't even give me a baby. Only good enough to drive around little babies that other people have. You need to man up, you roach. You bug. You insect. You won't even let us adopt. All our money is gone, Cheryl. It's because the... Oh, yeah, I know. The bear. The bear. The bear. You always escape with the bear, Jim. And then several of the bills fall away from the far wall. And there are three doors covered in newspapers. And that's all. So what's behind door number one? Like, you get that reference, right? That's that's old enough for you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Totally. Okay. Miami Vice, obviously. What? There are three doors, each covered in newspapers. The newspapers have various headlines. If you want to get any more information from each one, you have to roll for it. I would love to. Sure. So you can either roll. I'm going to say perception plus investigation, or you can do an academics plus intelligence. I would love to do perception plus investigation. So would I. By all means. Okay. Okay. Difficulty? I'm going to say difficulty seven. Six successes. Holy shit. Well, then. Two. That's an impressive amount, Angela. And honestly, Lee, you're pretty sure you would have figured this out. Obviously. You would have figured it out eventually, as you're just kind of slowly going through each and every article, every newspaper. There seems to be several of them pushed together. But Charlie just kind of glances at it, and she points to the first door. All those newspapers are from 
1965 to 1966. She points to the second one. That's from 1973 through 1974. And she points to the last door. That's from 1988 through 1989. Now, just throwing this out there, you can roll an academics roll. Difficulty 9. This is intelligence. Or you can roll a finance roll. Difficulty 6 with intelligence. And I can give you more information just looking throughout all of these things. Okay, yeah, I'll do finances. I'll, uh, I'll try academic. Ah. I would have had one success except that there's a one. Two successes. Two successes. David, it's your turn to shine. You don't know a lot about pop culture. Your mom, she never really let you watch TV. You watched some, but your mom was very against that. But she brought home from the Salvation Army a full set of Encyclopedia Britannica. Mm-hmm. The books, not even like the CD or anything like that. Like it had everything. And so, you know, after your your mini parties in high school, you would come home and instead of, you know, going to sleep, you would read the encyclopedia sometimes. Oh, I'm just kidding. You were never invited to parties in high school. You just like to read the encyclopedia sometimes. And for some reason, as soon as she says 1973 to 1974, you remember that Oh yeah, yeah. That's like that was the big stock market crash, and that caused the bear market that uh, that happened between January '73 and '74. You just remember that idly. You also know that in '88 through '89 that there was a Thompson Square Park police riot in New York City, and randomly also know that on uh, March 9th is Turnaround Thursday, uh, March th- uh, from Selma to Montgomery, Alabama. But those are the three kind of things that stick in your mind about all those dates. Bear market. The bear market crash, 7374. She said, uh, I, I motion at the housewife mannequin, uh, having completely lost my sense of what is real. The, she said that the he always br- blames the bear. The bear market crash of 7374 is probably what she's talking about. I mean, millions upon millions of people lost their entire savings. She also said, you always escape with the bear, which maybe there's a physical bear, but we have no evidence of a physical bear. So. But but how would a stock market crash help you escape? I think escape as in like she yells at him about this stuff and he always blames the bear market crash. I guess we go through the bear door. The bear, the bear market door. Unless there's something that has a giant bear paw print. Well, if he always escapes through the bear door, then... Maybe that's how we're going to get out, too. You first. Oh, son of a... Okay, here we go. And I open it up. As you grab hold of it, you hear the sound of hissing, almost like cockroaches, that scary hiss those large ones give out. But then you realize that those are from the side doors, those other doors. And you slowly open up the 1973 through 74 door. And there's nothing but a simple hallway. This doesn't really seem decorated at all. And at the very end of that hallway, brightly lit, is a pink door. Okay. This seems good, right? Goodish, good adjacent. I mean, we're not in the the room that has the weird hissing, so yes. I'll take it as okay. I'm gonna go with okay. Okay. 
pink door. Pink door. So do you think we it, had a red. Do you think it matters what the colors have been? That's what I'm thinking. We've had red, we've had blue, we've had pink. I mean, if it helps, it looks like this has been hastily painted, but it could mean something. But it could also be they grabbed whatever they can. Okay, just just remember that. And we'll go to the pink door. As you start walking down this hallway, you hear through, again, that speaker, that damn speaker. Cross Driver Jim, he's drinking again. Watch out what you say. Keep your voice down, smile, don't frown, or he will make you pay. So this guy had issues. Oh, you didn't get that from the last one? As you get closer to the door, it almost takes on a surreal sound quality, as if you start hearing the sound of, like, a heartbeat. And in a deep voice, even you, David, recognize this. It almost sounds like James Earl Jones is narrating. It says, Bus driver Jim couldn't sleep. He couldn't eat. His wife's words kept playing over and over in his head. And then one day... He decided not to be a bug. And by the time it gets to the last word, bug, there's a door in front of you. The pink door. I'm going to reach for the door. You reach for the door, you grab the door, you open the door? Yep. And inside is a small room. He would almost question if it's a closet. And there seems to be one of those old-fashioned kind of gated elevators at the very end of this room. But again, it is a very small room. And in the middle of this room on a broken stool is a bowl of candy. And again, that voice, that James Earl Jones like voice, it says Bus driver Jim gave the kids candy the next day. And then the voice shifts over to a child's voice. Three for each. No more, no less. But we slept too long and hard, and in a panic, bus driver Jim just drove and drove and drove and drove. And a small sign falls down from the ceiling in front of the old elevator, and it says, Sleepland. And right now, it looks like the door to the elevator has a giant lock on it, and there's three smiley faces on it. It seems like those smiley faces are mechanical, built into the lock. But that's all you see right now. I don't think I want to go to Sleepland. Okay. Neither do I. But let's be real. We don't want to be anywhere we've been the last day or so. Okay, I'm going to poke some of these candies with a pen. They're not name brand candy. Obviously. They seem to be like the kind that a candy store would actually spend the time to make. Licorice, wrapped up in individual plastics, some peppermints, taffy balls, and things like that. Okay. Um, I'm going to look at the locks. Do you have anything in security as a skill? Yeah, I do. How many? Three. So you... You know locks. You know how to pick a locker lock. You know how to pick, you know, a standard door lock. You kind of understand how to pick, you know, some of the harder locks that your university has. Mm -hmm. This is a advanced lock. It has all the bells and whistles. You could try to pick it, but that might just damage it and make it stuck. 
it would be a challenge. Not impossible. You kind of think you know how it works, but it would be a challenge. This is a gravity lock. A gravity lock. It. It's not like... You know, when you twist a key in a lock, you're basically making a bunch of, um, like, mechanical tumblers ka-chunk and just open the door. You know, it just pulls the deadbolt and boom, the door is open. But really all you're doing is just adding the last gear to a bunch of gears. Sure, I knew that. That's all a key is. A gravity lock involves very, like, a very precise key that you can't necessarily pick because messing with the lock itself could break it shut because the things inside are literally balancing using magnets. So there's like just one key that would open it. Yeah, exactly. I could try to pick this and no, I won't get into it because you could be a cop, but I, the chances of me just breaking it shut and us never getting it open I mean, this is what you keep in, like, on a safe. Fuck it. And I just take one of the candies. <laughs> you pop it in your mouth? Yep. And then I look back at the lock. Like, mad. <laughs> like, like very, very mad. David, you put the candy into your mouth, and you chew on it, and you swallow it. You know, standard eating. But you do feel a little tired after, like, a minute or so. Just a little woozy. I need you to make a stamina Check. To straight up stamina. Difficulty, five. One success. You lay your head down for a second as you get really woozy, but after some steady breathing, you're able to sit back up. And you blink a few times. There's something definitely in that candy. And you look towards the lock, and it has only two smiley faces on it. Lee rubs his eyes. Well, I think I figured out how to pick the lock. But if we eat three, we sleep for too long. Oh, oh, the... Th yeah, pay attention. What if we split it up? Charlie grabs a piece of candy, and I eat it. You put it in your mouth, Angela, and you down it, and I need you to make a stamina roll. Difficulty five. Two successes. Charlie, you don't feel 100%. You feel exhausted, but you don't zone out like... Lee did. And when you both look towards the lock, there is only one smiley face. I'll I'll do the, the second one. I can apparently handle my candy better than you. You take that back! Well, I have a plan. Oh, no. I have an idea. And I'm going to open up this sandwich that I got. And I'm going to smell it. Take a nibble out of it. You do. It tastes delicious, honestly. It's peanut butter, definitely Skippy's peanut butter crunch, and legit jelly. Somebody bought this jelly from a farmer's market. I take one of the candies, break it in half, and then stick each half into one of the halves of the sandwich. And then I just shove one half of the sandwich towards Charlie. The thing about barbiturates is that sometimes if you... If you add drugs with food, sometimes that they're absorbed less, which is why if you have pasta with booze, you don't get drunk as much. So if we eat something with these, then we might like not feel as affected. Sure. So you guys eat? Yep. Also, I'm mad hungry, Charlie. 
So you both sit down and you numb on a sandwich. And honestly, I'm going to give you guys each a willpower point back because you got a sandwich in you. And it's actually the first coherent thing that you've had other than like chips. And candy. And candy. This is actually healthy. However, as you're eating, I need a stamina check. Difficulty six from both of you. No! Fuck! (laughs) I failed. I got a 10 and a 1. <laughs> so you both failed? Yes. Yeah. You both eat your sandwich. And Charlie, you look towards Lee and you're nodding your head. This was a smart idea. This was a smart idea. This was a smart idea. And then you both kind of lean forward and rest your head against each other. And you fall asleep. You both are startled awake at the sound of a old elevator door crashing shut. And you are in what looks to be a boiler room. There is no decorations here. There is no brightly colored signs. There's there's nothing like that. Instead, the only thing you see right now is the boiler itself. The slight glow from between the grates casting a little bit of shadows that dance around. You've definitely been dragged in here by someone or something, but you don't remember what. You were sleeping. And as you feel around, Angela, your camera is gone. No. David, your flashlight is gone. No. Then a single light turns on. It's an overhead light, and it casts a beam straight down onto an old ping pong table. On that table is a model of the rest stop. And while everything else has been kind of poorly drawn, painted, created, this seems like, even though it is just a craft project, it definitely seems like someone knew how to make a model out of cardboard and just hand-me-down thing, anything they could find, because it looks fairly good, and it's of the rest stop. And again, you hear that very calm voice from that speaker saying... Bus driver Jim's mind was broken after his accidental overdose of the children. But it wasn't the only thing that was broken. No, it was the spirit. And his courage wasn't the only thing that failed him, but also his heart. Because the moment the policeman came behind him in his bus as he was driving on that highway. His heart couldn't take it anymore. But then Jim realized he was driving on the highway in his bus alone. Driving. Driving with them children. Until he saw a light. And like a fly to a zapper, he approached. And from the darkness, you hear skittering. Loud skittering, as if something was climbing on the walls. And since you don't have your flashlight, you can't see what it is. And stepping partially into that beam of light is a little girl. And pigtails and a a dress... On her shirt, there is a a cartoon rainbow bright. And the little girl just stares at you and says, And this is where he made his hive. Another kid steps forward. 
again, partially in the light. Away from the policeman? Another kid steps forward. And his wife, Cheryl? Another kid. And David, you would recognize this kid. This is Bobby Limp. He has those goofy glasses and that bowl cut. And the consequences. And suddenly snaking down from the ceiling on what looks to be a nightcrawler's back, kind of that carapace, that chitin, is a man and his skin is greasy. His eyes, one of them is a bulbous eye, kind of like what you would expect a fly to have. Half of his lip is turning into a mandible. He opens his mouth and goo dribbles out of it. And he says, They called me a bug. You can't have my bugs. And all around him are those children who are kind of convulsing as well as his entire body convulses as he can't quite seem to finish that S in bugs. And as one kid steps forward, you realize that they don't have so much backs. It's like the front of them is a kid, and the back of them is the bottom of a centipede. And you see the little centipede legs dance behind them as they take a few steps towards you. Charlie, Charlie, talk talk to talk to the nice bug man. Why would I talk to the nice bug man? Because tell him about the oil man, because I'm not good at public speaking. What do I say about the oil man? The oil man's coming to get us out of here. If, 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 if we get out of here, maybe the oil man will stop coming for his bucks. And Angela, they are stepping forward. You see that the bus driver is ready to strike. The kids, all of them, they seem to have a vacant look on their face as if they're not really here. They're just more extensions of this guy. We we, we all need to get out of here. The, the oil man's coming. <laughs> the bus driver says angrily. You will not... Make me leave my hive. You brought the oil, man. You did this. There's there's no point in, in blame. Roll initiative. Ah. 13. 15. David, Angela's trying to talk her way through this, but it looks like this thing's not listening. So he makes the first attack. He would go, and then David, you would go right after him. Angela, the bus driver, springs forward, his arms raised up in anger, and you see one of his arms is just a meaty fist, and the other one seems to be a pinchers of a scorpion. And with his meaty fist, he's going to backhand you. He gets one success on that hit, so his strength is four, so he gets to roll four dice. He rolled a nine, a nine, a nine, and an eight. Angela, you take four points of bashing damage as he backhands you across the face and slams you into a nearby wall. Does she get to roll stamina to try to reduce any of that damage? Absolutely. You can roll stamina to reduce some of that damage, Angela. Two successes. Two successes. So you take two points of bashing damage as this thing slams you into a nearby wall. It lets out a throaty roar before it curls on its tail and falls down on top of that model, completely crushing it. And David, right now you get to see this thing in all its majesty. It is a horrifying mix of man, bug, and scorpion. And it lets out another shriek of anger and it's stopping towards Charlie. In the only move that he can do that is not fight the Scorpion King, 
Lee makes a split-second decision and holds the gun at one of the children carapaces and says, Stop, or I'll shoot. David, I want you to intimidate. <laughs> no, please make it stop. Oh, God. All right, so what would the difficulty be? Six. Plus two, because I am shy. So it's a difficulty eight, and I'm going to spend that willpower we just got. Two nines. That's three successes on an intimidate to hold a gun to a... We'll move on. You turn and absolutely point, and even though your voice is slightly shaky, uh, your fear for your friend Charlie makes it seem like you are possibly crazy enough to shoot. And you see something in bus driver Jim's face that you did not think you would see earlier, or think it was possible to see given his insectoid transformation. Fear. As if you found a weak point. And as it's looming over Charlie, who is on the ground, it finally cants its head to the side, twisting it until it's like 180 degrees. And that bulbous eye stares at you, its mandibles moving back and forth as if it's trying to curse you out, but it's holding back using its actual vocal cords. And finally, it whispers, you are like... Cheryl, complicating, pushing me to do things I don't want to do. She made me do this. She turned me into this. It's her fault. It's your fault. Lots of real concerned glances towards Charlie from Lee. Well, it's Charlie's turn. What do you want to do on your initiative? I want to look around the room for just a, a moment. Earlier, we weren't seeing any you know, other doors, but now we've moved in a little bit. Now that there's been weird children moving around, is there any other sign of egress? How about you do me a solid and do perception plus alertness? And is my difficulty still six? No, God, eight. It's eight because, you know, scorpion, monster, darkness, all that jazz. Two successes. Okay. Your eyes have kind of adjusted a little bit to the darkness around you. Not so much that you get, you're able to distinguish things, but you're able to distinguish signs of light. And you actually see what looks to be an outline of maybe a cellar door on the opposite end of this boiler room. A cellar door that there's light poking through the gaps. Just a little bit of light. I'm going to relay that information to Lee. I, you know, point over towards the cellar door. We need to get over there. You, you know what will really prove Cheryl wrong is if you do protect these kids like a big man and you let us go because we're too much trouble. We're too much trouble, man. And if you just let us leave, you did it. You did it. You protected them. Okay, David, I want you to roll a charisma. <laughs> oh, no. Is it, would it be expression? Empathy. You're in, Yeah, it sounds like you're trying to empathize with this guy. You're trying to show him some empathy. You're trying to not so much read him, but... Cool, 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 cool. So, quick question. What happens if your dice pool drops below zero? It is a chance dice. If you fail, you critically botch. 
Difficulty eight. So it's a difficulty ten. Ten! I got a fucking ten! Are you serious? You rolled a ten. Bus driver Jim stares at you for a long five seconds. Before finally the children press their backs against the walls and they're still just standing there staring straight at you, David. But then they start crawling up the wall, their backs. And then bus driver Jim slinks back into the shadow and you can hear a throaty growl towards the two of you. Anger definitely is still there, but no one's blocking your way. Go, go, let's go. Okay, we go, we go, we go, we go. You guys are moving towards the cellar doors and just as you reach it, the door behind you is kicked open. And the room is suddenly bright again, as you think for just a second that the guy's carrying a torch. But no, it is a flamethrower. No! The oil man has arrived in the boiler room, and you hear a deafening hiss from above as Jim, the bus driver, launches himself down on top of this figure, scorpion hand stabbing away. But again, those flames are definitely uh, striking him as the oil man attacks with a gusto. You guys throw open this cellar door and stumble out. And you are outside. The fight's still taking place inside. It sounds bestial at this point, but you're standing at the side of the rest stop near the woods. To the right of you is more woods. Left of you is where the parking lot is. Parking lot doesn't have dogs. (laughs) Parking lot doesn't have dogs. Parking lot. Parking lot. Let's just go to the parking lot. You guys round the corner and run out into the parking lot just as there is a squealing of tires and a flash of headlights beaming right in front of you. And you guys throw up your hands blinded before you hear a familiar sound of Lucille's horn blaring at you. And Hank screams from the window, Both of you, get your asses in the car. All right, we get in. You guys rush to the car, throw open the doors and pile inside. The camera pulls away and the last thing it sees is the car taking off down that ramp away from the rest stop. And the rest stop is on fire. This is Billy, your storyteller, and I want to thank you for tuning into the Fandible Podcast Network. If you want to follow more of Fandible, go to our Twitter or Facebook. You can find us on Twitter at Fandible and Facebook at Fandible Podcast Network. If you'd like to help us create more of these episodes, feel free to donate at our Patreon. You get monthly games and supplements from us, fan games, and early access to episodes. Thank you again for listening, and be careful on the long drive.